Welcome to Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. We're so glad that you are listening with us today, and we hope that this message is a blessing. Well, I think it's safe to say that Americans are tired right now. Um, Back in January of this year, they did a big study, a big survey, and found out that three out of every five American adults said they are more tired now than they have ever been. Of that group, 53% said that no amount of rest, no amount of vacationing can help them feel recovered. I mean, people are exhausted, and when they're asking, what do you think it is? What is causing us to be so tired? Some people said it was lack of sleep. Some people said it was long work hours. Other people said they have no routine. Just their life is chaos. There's no routine to it. And others said it it was too much screen time, sitting down at the end of the day and just watching Netflix or whatever it might be. But no matter what is causing it, people are saying, we are worn out, okay? And so I know summer just ended or is ending for some, and a lot of people took vacations, but I wonder how many of you know exactly when fall break is, and you're saying, if we can just make it to fall break, right? Like, I'm there. I'm like, if we can make it to fall break, we're gonna do this. You just had a sabbatical. I'm like, fall break, waiting for it. Like, we are tired people, okay? Well, this this. For the next few weeks, we're doing a little mini-series called You're Invited. And what we're talking about is how the gospel has invitations that are meant to be truly life-changing. They're meant to transform us to the core of who we are. So last week, we talked about the invitation to relationship, to live in this relationship, knowing what it means to be loved by God. And so first and foremost, we are loved by him. And then as an overflow of knowing his love, we give that love back. We give it to him through worship. We give it to others through service. But it starts with knowing what it means to live deeply loved by God as our Father. Well, today the invitation is an invitation we all need. It's an invitation to rest. It's an invitation for us to find and live in the deepest rest that our souls need. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Mark chapter Two. Mark chapter two. All right, at this point, Jesus has healed a paralytic. He's called the tax collector Matthew to follow him. He's hanging out with sinners. He's talking about fasting. And now he's gonna talk about the Sabbath. So let's pick up in verse 23. It says, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Okay, so the Sabbath was a big deal for Israel. It's the seventh day of the week, which was Saturday. It was the day that God commanded them to set aside where they were supposed to rest. They were supposed to keep that day holy. It was a big deal for them, okay? Now you have the Pharisees, observing Jesus and his disciples on a Sabbath. And the Pharisees, I would think that in high school, if they had hall monitors, they would have applied. Like they were the people in the hall telling guys to keep their their shirt tails tucked in, calling out girls for having shorts that were more than four fingertips above the knee. Like they were the police, okay? So the Pharisees here, they are the religious 
police, right? And they're observing Jesus and his disciples. And what they see is something that they're like, that's not right. Now, what God said in the Old Testament was for people to keep the Sabbath holy. Now, if you were to say, God, how do I do that? Could you give me a list of like, here's what to do, here's what not to do? That would be awesome. But the problem is, is God never provided a list, So the religious leaders, the Pharisees, what they did is they came in and said, we need to answer the how question for our people. So they created 30 to 40 regulations of what it meant to keep the Sabbath holy. Now, this was their interpretation of the law. It wasn't actually written in God's word, okay? Now, one of the things that they determined you couldn't do was you couldn't pick grain on the Sabbath. Is that in God's law? No, but was it one of the Pharisees' regulations? Yes. So what are Jesus' disciples doing? Are they breaking God's law? No. But are they breaking the Pharisees' interpretation of it? Yes, right? And so the Pharisees see this happening, and they're like, well, Jesus knows what we added to the law, and so the disciples' negligence appears to reflect negatively on Jesus as their teacher. So they're kind of calling out Jesus and saying, you don't seem to be a really good teacher of the law because look at how your disciples are living. So let's pick up up in verse 25. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And so instead of Jesus entering into a debate and saying, well, what's God's law and what's your interpretation of it? He tells them a story. He reminds them of something from 1 Samuel. And he's like, okay, remember David, your hero? He, he actually broke the law. Like he went into the temple um, or to the house of God. He took bread that was only for the priest and he ate it and he divvied it up. Like he actually broke the law and you disregard that and see him as a hero. Then you come at me and look at my disciples who aren't breaking the law and you want to, you like want to reprimand us? Like he's showing how they're inconsistently holding David to be heroic in reprimanding them. Um, So he's showing some inconsistencies in the way that they're approaching this. Then verse 27, he says, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so what he's getting at here is that the Pharisees' interpretation of the Sabbath hindered people instead of helping people. So their interpretation of what it meant to keep the Sabbath holy was hindering people instead of helping people. And what he's getting at here is that the Sabbath shouldn't create a spiritual burden that's greater than the physical burden of working. But that's exactly what happened. They created a spiritual burden that was exceeding the physical burden if they were just to keep working on Saturdays or their Sabbaths, right? And so he's pointing out like, hey, you're missing the point of why God gave this law in the first place. Then verse 28, he says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, okay? And so when he says this, it's important to note the word of, okay? He could have said, the Son of Man, or I, am over the Sabbath. He could have said, look, I'm in spiritual authority here. I have the right to interpret or to reinterpret what this actually means, 
But he doesn't say that he's Lord over the Sabbath. He said he's Lord of the Sabbath, which is a way of saying if Sabbath is meant for deep rest. Okay, if, you, if, you ever, if you've ever heard the Hebrew word shalom, right? Shalom means peace. It means wholeness. It means the world being as it was meant to be. Like we long for shalom. Shalom was basically like a synonym for Sabbath. So if you were typing in Microsoft Word, wrote in Sabbath, right-clicked it to see what a synonym was because you're trying to be more creative, you would have seen shalom there, right? And so he's saying, I am the source of Sabbath. I am the source of the deepest rest you need. I am the source of peace. I am the source of wholeness. I am the source of human flourishing. I'm the source of everything being as God intended it to be. So he is saying a profound statement here when he says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, so, so why is that important? Okay, here's what I want us to understand today. Do we need a day off every week to rest physically and to rest mentally? Yes. Like even science says that. They're like, if you take a day off, it goes well for you. It's like, thanks, science. Like, like, like yes, having a day off is awesome. But what, what I want us to understand today is that we need more than the weekend. We need more than holiday breaks. We need more than vacations. We need Jesus. Okay? And so, and because Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live. Because Jesus died the sinner's death we deserved, and because Jesus rose victoriously from the grave, there are ways for us to rest deeply, right? There are, there, I'm gonna talk about three ways that Jesus gives, gives us the deep rest our souls long for. Okay, because Jesus lived the life we couldn't live, died the death that we deserved, and rose from the grave, he offers us three ways to rest that our souls are longing for. Okay, so the first one. First way that we are, we are given rest through Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live. Therefore, we can rest from religious performance. Okay, because Jesus lived the life we couldn't live, we can rest from religious performance. So when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our right standing with God, there are typically two mindsets that people live under. The first mindset is, I obey, therefore God accepts me. Okay, that's the first mindset. I obey, therefore God accepts me. That's religious performance. But the gospel is different. It says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. You see, it's a reversal. Instead of I obey, therefore I'm accepted, it says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. So let's say that you're living in that first mindset, the religious performance mindset, like I obey, and because I'm doing the right things, God's happy with me. Because I'm doing the right things, God loves me. Like if you're living in that mindset, my question to you is, how much is enough? If that's the mindset you're living in, like my performance somehow dictates the way that God feels towards me, my question is, how much is enough? Okay, like, are you reading your Bible enough? You're like, I'm reading three chapters a day on my Bible reading plan. Why not five? It's like, I'm spending time praying. I pray every day for at least 15 minutes. Why not 30 minutes? 
Like, well, I've, I, I led a friend to Christ. Why not three friends to Christ? Like, like at what, if, if you're doing performance, at what point can you say, that's enough, now God accepts me? Okay, because the Pharisees had over 600 commands of things to do and things not to do. And Jesus comes in and goes, unless your righteousness exceeds, not meets the standard, but surpasses it, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is like, you need more than that. And so if you try to earn God's favor, look, two things are gonna happen. If you try to earn God's favor, two things are gonna happen. Either one, you will try harder and you will be exhausted or you will give up and you will be defeated. But like, those are the only two options. If you're trying to earn God's favor, either you're gonna pull your bootstraps up and be like, all right, I'll read more. All right, I'll pray more. All right, I'll do more religious activity. And you're just gonna be exhausted because there's, you're, you can never do enough. Or you'll just throw in the towel and be like, who can do this? Like, and you'll walk away feeling completely defeated. Okay, but Jesus gives us rest from religious performance. You see, the second mindset, the mindset that says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey, this allows us to work from God's love, not for God's love. All right, the first mindset, you're working for God's love and it never works. The second mindset allows you to work from God's love, not for God's love. And so the beauty of the gospel is that our acceptance isn't based off of what we can do. It's based off of what Christ has done. And that's good news for us. And as a result of resting in the work of Christ instead of our religious performance, what happens is that our obedience, which is a way of showing love for God, like our obedience becomes a blessing, not a burden. And when obedience is seen as a blessing, it becomes something that you want to do, not something you have to do, okay? So when you operate from God's love, obedience is not seen as a burden, it's seen as a blessing. And when your obedience is seen as a blessing, you begin to obey God's word, not because you have to, but because you want to. You see, Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live so we can rest from religious performance, the second thing is, Jesus died the sinner's death we deserved so we can rest from carrying guilt and shame. Because Jesus died the sinner's death that we deserved, we can rest from carrying guilt and shame. Let me tell you how this, how this works. Um, when I lived in Georgia, before I married Lucy, I was a bachelor living in Georgia, doing ministry. I had a house with an extra room. And so being a good guy, I let someone live with me for free. I was like, look, you need a house. You need a place to stay. You can live with me, but I need you to help out. Like that was the only stipulation. He's not paying rent, not paying electric bills, but could you help mow the yard? Could you help keep the dishes you know, clean? Like just simple things. You can live here for free, but would you help out around the house? Well, this guy was lazy as all get out. Like he would never wash dishes. I'd come home and he'd have a plate with a spatula eating Cheerios because he like, didn't want to wash a bowl and a spoon, right? And so over the course of time, my yard got taller and taller. And, I, and so he worked a night shift and he'd get home from work and just start playing video games. And I'd be like, hey, could you mow the yard before I get home from work today? 
And he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's got his headphones on. He's talking to someone in China. Like, I don't know. Like, he's, like, not listening to me at all. Like, but every day I'm like, could you mow the yard? Could you mow the yard? And so eventually I'm sitting there just mad. I'm walking around thinking, I mean, this guy's living for free. Like, he's not doing anything. Like, the yard's supposed to be mowed. He's not mowing the yard. And just, like, so frustrated. So one day I mow the yard because like, he wouldn't do it. So I get out there and just the whole time I'm mowing it. Just angry, right? I mow the whole yard and then I go about my next day. The next day, I come home from work, and, and I, I look at my yard, and there is a, a, a mark where the yard has been just gouged to the soil, like just stripped away. It looks like the Back to the Future car took off from my front yard. And I'm like, what in the world happened? And I walk in. He's just happy as all get out. He's like, hey. And I was like, what? and he goes, I mowed the yard. And I was like, what? He's, I, was like, I was like, I did that yesterday. And he goes, I was wondering. He's like, because I started to mow the yard and nothing was happening. So, so I dropped it down two levels and I really jacked up that one spot. So I raised it back up and I was wondering why he kept asking me to mow the yard. And I was like, I already did it. Like, like you just literally mowed the yard after I mowed the yard, right? And so I, I think this is so, um, this connects to Jesus in the sense that when we carry guilt and shame, Jesus is like, I already did that. I already carried your guilt and your shame to the cross. Like, why are you carrying something that's already been carried? It's like mowing the yard right after someone else has already mowed it. And so, so let me explain how this looks in, in real life, okay? Because you maybe you're tracking, maybe you're not. Here's how this plays itself out. Let's say that you have a sin struggle. You've got that sin that you're fighting, you're trying to, you're trying to have freedom from, but it creeps in every now and again and just gets a hold of you. Okay, so, so you sin. That sin wins the day, it wins the battle, you fall into temptation, right? When your response to that is, I need to feel like junk for a few days before I come back to Jesus, you know what you're doing? You're carrying guilt and shame that was already carried to the cross. So you fall into that sin, and then immediately God says, put on, put on your favorite worship song, let's sing. You say, I can't worship right now. Like, do you know what I just did? I need to walk around and feel like junk for a bit before I, can, before I can play Christian music again. Or God says, hey, let's just, let's just spend some time talking. Like, let's, like, come to me in prayer. Let's just hang out. Let's talk. Like, I can't talk to you. Do you know what I just did? Like, I need to walk around and feel like junk for a few days, and, and then I'll come back and start praying again. You see, when we operate that way of I sinned, God's inviting us back, but we feel like I need to walk around and feel like junk before I come to him, we're choosing to carry guilt and shame that Jesus already carried to the cross. And I wanna make sure that you don't hear me wrong on this because some people hear that and they're like, okay, I'm living in sin and I don't have to feel bad about it. This is great news. All right, don't hear me wrong, okay? Um, let me try to explain this. Okay, um, Jesus knew the sin you would commit before you committed it, right? Jesus knew the sin you committed before you committed it. It did not catch him by surprise, right? Jesus wasn't like, I'll die for your sins on the cross and you did something. He's like, whoa, whoa, like, I didn't know you were gonna do that when I went to the cross. Like, no, like, he knows every sin you have committed, every sin you are committing, every sin you will commit, and he still chose to die in your place. Okay, so none of your sin catches Jesus by surprise, right? Jesus died to forgive you, but he did not die for you to walk in sin. 
Jesus didn't die so you could keep walking in sin. Do not mistake God's grace for God's approval, okay? So Jesus didn't die for you to just to keep walking and living in that sin. He died so that you could begin to walk continually knowing God's love. Whether you're doing great or falling apart, you can know that God's love has not changed. So don't use this freedom from guilt and shame as an excuse to live in sin. Allow it to let you to walk in the love of Christ, okay? So because Jesus died the death that we deserved, we can rest from carrying guilt and shame. Then the third thing is this. Jesus rose victoriously from the grave so we can rest from cultural pressure, okay? Jesus rose victoriously from the grave, and that means that we can rest from cultural pressure. There are limitless voices telling us how to look, how to act, and what to believe. Right? There, there's so many voices in the world. Everyone has an opinion of what you're supposed to be like. Disney has an idea of what you're supposed to be like. Netflix has an idea of what you're supposed to be like. Fox News has an idea of what you're supposed to be like. Everything in the world has a voice trying to speak into your life to shape you, and it's putting cultural pressures on you for how to look, how to act, and what to believe. I mean, th think about kids for a second. Like, put yourself back in your middle school days. How many voices are speaking into a middle schooler's life? How, like, how many voices are middle schoolers wrestling with right now? You, you have your parents, you have your peers, you have your teachers, you have TikTok, you have music, you have social media, and you, you have movies. Like there's so many voices we could just keep going on that are trying to tell teenagers, this is what you're supposed to be like. This is, this is the political party you're supposed to embrace. This is the, the, this is the type of justice issues you're supposed to fight for. This is the type of person you're supposed to be like. Everybody is speaking into to their lives. And it's it's crushing them. Like it's like, I'm, you're, we're seeing generations of kids just being crushed before they even get to puberty, right? Okay, but think about this. Does it stop when you become an adult? Like if, if you're here and you're like, I'm not in middle school anymore, I've grown up. Like do the cultural pressures stop? No, like there's, there's the economic pressures. Are you making enough money, right? There's social pressures. Are you part of the right the right club in town? Are you, are you at the right parties? Are you getting the invites? Are your kids at the right school? Are you in the right neighborhood? Right? There, there's all the, like as adults, we still find there's pressures and there's voices speaking, trying to, to put us conformed into this, this cultural box, okay? Here's what's crazy, is studies in social psychology show that we typically conform to the majority, so just as humans, our, our typical response is to conform, to conform to the majority. So they started studying this back in the 1950s. There's this famous, this famous study called the Ash Conformity Experiment. And maybe you've heard about this. This is where they take college students and they, they put eight people in a room. Seven of them are actors and one person is a real like test dummy. All right, and they, they give you slide one. And slide one is a line. It's a certain length, like maybe three inches long. Okay, and then it goes to slide two and it shows three lines. One is the exact same size as slide one and the other two are off. One's shorter, one's longer. 
And so then they're like, okay, which line matches the first? And there, you have options, A, B, or C. Okay, so which line matches the first? And the seven actors are instructed to give the wrong answer. And then the, the question is like, will the last person, will the test dummy, will they conform to majority? Even though they know it's the wrong answer, will they still give in? I think it was like 36% of people gave in. They're just like, like, I guess it is A. Like they just gave in to the pressure. But that was one of 12 studies they did. And over the course of the 12 studies, what they found is that 75% of people will eventually conform to the majority. 75% of people will eventually conform to the majority. Okay, so I say that because when we live for the approval of others, it's just, it's beyond taxing, right? Like, like even if we know it's not right, we'll still try to do it. And as we live for the approval of others, as we live conforming to the majority, whether we know it's right or wrong, it is so taxing. It's exhausting, right? And I love what Jesus says in Matthew 11. This, is, this has been something that's been so helpful for me because if you're thinking about people-pleasing, I'm preaching to the choir. That's one of my biggest struggles. Like, I wanna be liked. Like, some people are, some pastors are jerks for Jesus, right? Like, they're like, I'm being persecuted for being a Christian. It's like, no, you're a jerk. Like, 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 I'm like I, mean, I wanna be liked, so when I say something and people get on Google and one-star review me and tag me in their social media posts and people blow me up that I don't even know, I'm, I'm like, I'm not like, yeah, I'm getting persecuted. I'm like, I'm like dang it, all these people don't like me. Like, like it's, a, it's a real life struggle here, okay? But something that has been so helpful for me is Jesus in Matthew 11, he, he says this, he says, but to what should we compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they said, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. What Jesus is getting at here, he's, he's saying that his cousin, John the Baptist, and even him as the Messiah, as the son of man, lived under the pressures of people saying, this is how you're supposed to act. Like John the Baptist and Jesus lived under the cultural pressure of people saying, this is how you're supposed to act. This is how you're supposed to live. You're not doing it right. And so often we miss the connection here. Okay, so I wanna, I wanna connect the dots for you. On the heels on the heels of Jesus saying that people wanted him to perform and were upset that he wasn't performing, guess what he says? He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, that saying is a direct response to the pressure we live in to conform to culture, to conform to the pressures of this world. And Jesus is saying, look, I've come to free you from cultural pressures. I've come to free you from those cultural pressures. All right? So here's what we get. Sin wants us to live culture up. Sin in our lives wants us to live culture up 
where we're under pressure to conform and to fit in. But the power of Christ in us, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, frees us to live kingdom down where we are transformed to look like Christ. You see, when we live under the pressures of culture, there's, there's no security. There's always pressure to fit in. There's always pressure to stay in. And there's always pain when you either don't get in or you get kicked out. Like that, that, that's the ultimate result of trying to please our culture. You're just gonna be exhausted and worn out. But Christ gives us acceptance. He gives us love. He gives us rest. He's the one who gets you in, and he's the one who says he'll never let you go. In Christ, we can rest from cultural pressure. So today, I wanna, I wanna invite you to rest in Christ. I wanna invite you to think about who Jesus is and how he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live so you can rest from religious performance. You don't have to earn God's favor. You don't have to earn his love. It's given to you, not because of what you can do, but because of what Christ has done. I want you to look to Christ and know that he died the death, the sinner's death that you deserved. And because of that, you can rest from carrying your guilt and shame. You can walk in his love, knowing that on your best day, he doesn't love you more. On your worst day, he doesn't love you less. You are fully and forever loved because of Jesus. And I want you to look to Christ and know that he rose victoriously from the grave so that you don't have to live culture up and to live being conformed to the patterns of this world, but the same power of Christ that raised him from the grave lives in you so that you can live kingdom down and be transformed by him, that you can rest knowing that you are accepted, that you are loved, that he gets you in, and he'll never let you go. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the rest that's being offered to us. So let's live in it. God, I thank you for your word. We wanna be a people who find deep rest in you. Yes, we wanna have rhythms throughout the week where we take a break, where we, we let our minds wind down or we let our bodies recover. But God, we need something deeper. And our society's crying out right now, saying we're more tired than we've ever been. But God, if, unless we come to you, we'll never find it. So God, help us to stop performing. Help us to stop trying to earn acceptance. God, help us to stop conforming. God, let us rest in you to truly know what it means to have a, a, to have a burdenless life because of you. God, it's your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about us, you can check out our social media or website. Grace and peace to you.